The relationship between men and mental health has often been called a silent crisis. On this podcast, we're breaking the silence. Welcome to Mental Health. It's time to talk. Here's your host, Alan Kaler. Welcome, everyone. This is it, episode one. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. And we're going to start off episode one with my good friend, mental health advocate and former NHL goaltender, Clint Malarchuk. Clint, welcome to the show. Uh, it's good to be on, especially uh, game show number one. <laughs> number one. Clint, is it just me or every time I see you, does your nose seem a little more straighter? Oh my God, that would be the first time I've ever heard that in my life. Uh, <laughs> did you break your nose again, Clint? <laughs> yep. No, I broke my nose 10 or 11 times now, so that's a real compliment. Yeah, I mean, Clint, that is impressive. And before we dive into Clint as a person, I want to start off briefly talking about Clint, the goalie, because obviously here's the thing. As an NHL goaltender, I mean, that represents strength. You are the backbone of the team. And I'm curious, Clint, how did that position tie into the potential silence when you were struggling with your mental illness? Well, there, you know, that there's always that question, what if, because goaltenders are known as being goofy or flaky or off the wall. Um, and, and what attracts that position? Is it that goofy personality or does becoming a goaltender make you a goofy personality because of the pressure? And, you know, uh, having struggled with mental illness, uh, even as a kid, uh, you know, I always, I always thought I was mentally weak. And now in retrospect, looking back on my life, uh, having to be in that uh, pressure packed position, handling, especially at the NHL level, the, the pressures and, and everything, but also handling mental illness and doing it in silence because of the stigma. You, you're supposed to be the backbone, uh, the tough guy, the mentally tough guy. And uh, now I look back and I go, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of proud that I was able to uh, persevere uh, through the pressures of the NHL and uh, struggle and, and survive through the mental illness that I went through. And Clint, at what point would you say that you were able to actually make that pivot? Like, w when were you able to actually realize, okay, hang on, hang on, th this is not so much uh, a weakness as perhaps it is a strength to talk about? Well, it, it came later in life, obviously, because, and, and again, we talk about the stigma all the time because of, especially with men and mental health, uh, you know, it's such a stigma that we're supposed to be the macho guys, the tough guys and uh, push through. And, and uh, so I would say later on, it, again, in retrospect, I look back and I go, wow, uh, I must have been double tough to handle both those, 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 those deals. For, for me, uh, you know, I didn't feel normal as a kid. I didn't feel uh, normal as a teenager. Uh, I felt, you know, anxiety ridden. And, but the thing is I had it so young that I, I had nothing to, what, what is normal? What is normal? You know, I, I didn't know. Were other kids anxious like me? Were they depressed like me? Did they have obsessive compulsive disorder like me? But they hit it like I did. And maybe that was normal. So I didn't really have a gauge until later in life, probably 
after my accident in, in 1989, when I almost died, uh, uh, cutting my jugular vein in the NHL game, uh, where things exploded and really uh, the OCD became enormous, the depression, the anxiety, the panic attacks, the nightmares, the flashbacks, and of course the undiagnosed PTSD that went along with that injury. Um, that's where uh, I really started to think, wow, you, you, you're a screwed up dude. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I guess I just find it interesting, Clint, you think about the proverbial mask as a goalie. And you did spend so many years, you know, questioning the normality and perhaps hiding in those shadows. And obviously, uh, a mask serves a purpose, right? Like sometimes we have to wear the mask. But even now, how do you or how are you able to, you know, take off the mask and actually do some of the work or do you still struggle with that? Well, I still struggle with it. Uh, nowhere deep as I used to. Ironically, you can see all my uh, hockey masks hanging above my head in the background. Those were all uh, masks that I wore as an NHL goaltender and as a kid and, and, and all that. So the proverbial mask that came off, I think uh, again, it goes back to uh, after my accident, almost dying. Uh, the trauma that went with it, um, <clears throat> all the rumors, uh, you know, uh, that, that that were out there that maybe I was a drug addict because I was acting, I was in the hospital and, and uh, you know, I had overdosed on some painkillers and alcohol, not on purpose. It was an accidental overdose at that, at, at that time. Um, and, and I think that's when I first got diagnosed with any mental disorders. And I came clean because I didn't want to be known as a drug user or, you know, somebody that was out there, you know, as a, especially as a professional athlete, you want to uh, set an example for kids. So that's when I really went clean and, and, and you know, started to do uh, interviews, uh, newspaper, TV, all those things, because all of a sudden they have this athlete. And I was one of the first to come out uh, with, with these type of disorders. Um, you know, way back in 1990. And uh, so that, that's how I kind of uh, got out there as far as being known as somebody that struggled with mental illness. Yeah, I mean, Clint, you really paved the way for not only athletes, but a lot of people, men in particular, to realize, hmm, you know, maybe it's okay to talk about some of my challenges and and what was some of the feedback for you when you finally allowed yourself to just say it how it was ironically and unbelievably it was it was pretty pretty uh emotional uh supportive support mm. uh i have very li little uh and and especially after i wrote my book that's where i really uh went wow there's a lot of Clint Malarchuk's out there. You know, mm -hmm. I knew I struggled. I knew there was other people that struggled. But then again, we go, uh, they're not as bad as me. You know, no one's as bad as me. Yeah, I guess there's people bad, but not as bad as me. And when I got the feedback from people that had read my book or read an article or, or seen an interview and totally related, totally related, went, wow, you're a twin. You, your life has, has been a double of mine. Yet, like like so many of us, we do it in 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 silence and in darkness. 
And that's when my eyes were really opened that there were so many, so many uh, men, especially men. I, we're talking men mostly here because of the theme. And uh, it, it, that's when I went, well, there's a lot. There's a lot. A lot of people opened up. I got tons of emails, um, messengers, all sorts of letters, uh, cards. And it was uh, for a lot of people, I think it was the first time that they heard somebody um, tell, tell a story that they could relate to. And again, I say, I, I use that, that suffering in, in darkness and in silence. And again, it's because of the stigma and, and especially for men. And we can talk about, you know, how it is for men. It, 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 it's, it's hard for us. And, and especially when you're an athlete and you're supposed to be like for me, an NHL goaltender, you're supposed to be the tough guy, the, the one that handles the pressure that can handle the, the win or the lose, the, to win or lose a game of pressure is more on the goaltender than in any other sport. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, vulnerability breeds vulnerability, doesn't it? And how many times don't you hear those two powerful words where after you're on a stage or people read your book and they just say, me too, me too. But then how is it, Clint, that we can help curve some of that, uh, those old scripts? Like, how can we help redefine what it is to be strong? Well, I, I think that word vulnerability is huge. Um, I get a lot of, like, you, 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 when I first, like, came out, let, let's say, come out of the closet or come out with your, your disorders and your problems, uh, my first thought was fear, a lot of fear, a lot of uh, people are going to judge me, people are going to uh, uh, think that I'm weak rather than sick, um, you know, so there was a lot of fear and trepidation. And again, uh, it, it was the opposite. It was the opposite of, of that because, uh, again, so many men, and I talk about uh, men up, up in your region in, in Saskatchewan, a farming community, uh, a lot of isolation with farming and uh, there's a lot of suicide rates, uh, not just from farmers by any means, but uh, with men. And, you know, it's be becoming uh, more and more almost epidemic. And I'm sure this COVID deal has a lot to do with it too. And, uh, but people are realizing that they're not alone. And, uh, you know, being a man doesn't necessarily mean, uh, um, you know, having to be that tough guy. I mean, you know, you know, I'll tell you one thing, Alan, um, I've had, you know, many surgeries, being an athlete, you know, rodeo, hockey, boxing, um, uh, you know, hockey of course um you know a lot of injuries a lot of surgeries i know physical pain i i i and i was quoted once on the uh, national up in canada the 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 big tv show and uh the, the, i remember saying i'd rather have my throat cut a hundred times over than live with mental illness and I remember the the, the, the lady, that, she's quite famous. I can't remember her name. You'd know her right off the bat. Um, Manly. Uh, I can't. Any doesn't matter. Um, she was almost sat back in her chair and she kind of went, she rephrased the question. And I said, yeah, the only way I can describe mental illness uh, to people that don't know how it feels is it is 
more painful than any physical pain that I've endured in, in, in my life. It is that painful. And the problem is it's, a, it's an invisible disease. And it's also got that stigma. Whereas uh, physical pain with men, wow, you break a leg. Ooh, gee, that hurts. We all know physical pain. We all have it. Uh, but the, the invisibility of, of mental, uh, uh, you know, struggling, whether it's depression, anxiety, I have a obsessive compulsive disorder, panic attacks, um, you know, flashbacks, I, you know, I, I've, I've and, and then I went 20 years of undiagnosed PTSD, which led to a suicide attempt. You know, that's how deep and dark I have been. And why, why do we do that? Why do we do that in the silence? And uh, it's a stigma for sure. And the, the, the being perceived as weak and uh, as men, we don't want to be that. We want to be, the, you know, we want to be the guy in every sense of the word. Yeah, it is definitely easier to manage and address physical pain than emotional pain. And yet, like anything, unless you've gone through it, it's very difficult to understand. But I think, Clint, one of the things that I admire the most about you is you are you. There is no more hiding today. And I can go back to an event that we were doing together. I don't know if it was in Ontario, but I just remember you were really struggling with your mental health that day and the show has to go on. And I saw you sitting on a chair in the hallway and, and my heart just really hurt because you're tearing up. And when you went on the stage, you, you don't shy away from the fact that this is a tough day. You know, you are able to you're able to just put a face and a voice to it. And this is real. And I think, again, that lends to the vulnerability piece. And, and that's what I love about you, Clint. You're always just your authentic self. And I find that a lot of men in particular really struggle being comfortable when they're in emotional pain. Well, yeah, that's true. And I, and, and in a lot of my, my, if I'm in one of those states that, uh, you know, I'm not having a good day and I have to go up and perform and give a talk, uh, and I'm not really in a good space at that time. Um, uh, you know, I do have my tools. I try to meditate. I try to, you know, breathe and everything. But, uh, I, 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 when I'm in those states, uh, that I feel like I might crack a little bit on stage, uh, I'll tell people right off the bat, I said, I'll tell them, I'd say, you know, today's not a good day for me. I'm a little bit struggling. And if the waterworks come on, I will not apologize. I will never apologize for being emotional. Um, and, uh, because it's real and, yeah. and, and we got to be real about it. And, uh, the opposite of real is phony. And if I go up there and, and uh, be phony, um, you know, yeah, I got to I got to pull myself through to get through a, a presentation, but I'm still going to be authentic. I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, real. And I would I would say I would say I choke up in probably 85 percent of my presentations because there's parts that I touch um, uh, uh, talking about my life and things that have happened to me as a kid um you know through life through mental illness uh through ptsd through a suicide attempt um and they're real and they're emotional and but they're real 
And to back to back down uh, from that is 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 the opposite of being real, and that's being phony. And I, I don't want to be a phony. Well, and you aren't. And I think that Clint, you understand that emotions are energy, and when those emotions rise to the surface, you allow them to spill over. You allow yourself to feel. And going back to men, I think that right there is a massive hurdle. And and then if you suppress those emotions, which a lot of men do, and it manifests, then it turns often into anger. And I mean, Clint, in your book, which is a phenomenal read, which I'll get to later, it's time and time again, you know, there are stories of raw anger where you, it, it just seems like all this energy is in there. You don't know how to manage it. So what do we do? We project. And how is it then that you were able to look at some of your emotions, look at some of your pain? Oh, boy, Alan, a lot of self-analysis, a lot of therapy, a lot of counseling, um, a lot of self-medicating, um, you know, you, you go through through a gamut of things. And, and I, I think that's why uh, there's such a huge correlation between addiction and mental illness is because I can, I can say for me, uh, you know, I used to drink beer to calm myself down if I was anxious or if I'm depressed, it would pick me up. Um, my obsessive compulsive disorder, beer would kind of level me out. And, but the problem with that is now you're getting into a whole a whole new can of worms and it, it's uh you know what one beer would do uh then it took two then it was four then it was eight before you know it i'm drinking 20 30 beers a day but you know that that's uh that's american beer and i'm canadian so <laughs> big difference big difference right no but that's why it's such a you know so getting back to kind of where you're going is you, you know we do have these things of anger um you know, I know uh, working with dealing with a lot of military guys and gals that uh, strongest, mentally toughest people in the world to do that job. And they go overseas and they come back and they got PTSD. And, you know, they're the toughest people in the world. So right there, it, it, it doesn't matter how tough you are. It, it's, it's an illness, uh, an, an injury, uh, mental injury. I mean, like PTSD. And, and what I've learned th through them, uh, speaking with them, uh, is, yeah, we could all, with PTSD, we could all uh, understand a certain amount of uh, depression, certain amount of anxiety, a certain amount of other manifestations, maybe OCD or whatever. But the common denominator that I found that we all had was anger. And this is my own theory, is that anger comes from, A, we're not able to manage our own emotions and feelings. B, we're a man. We should be able to handle this stuff. Um, and and we, when you don't have control of your own maybe thoughts, feelings, emotions, depressions, anxieties, it, it manifests into just nothing but anger. Like, what, what am I doing? And, and for me, that's when the beer came in, you know, um, you know, trying to, you calm down or, or, or numb myself. And I know there's a lot of men that can relate to that uh, a lot. And I'm not, and it's not a good road to go down by any means because now you're dealing with two devils. And yeah. You say it well. I mean, 
anger for me, I guess, in hindsight, it's it's this secondary emotion, isn't it? Where I really had to start thinking about what lies beneath the anger. And, and for me, I mean, a lot of it was just this pain that I didn't want to look at. It was sadness. But like you, alcohol became something that I was or I would turn to just to numb, to escape. And right there, as you say, is part of the problem because alcohol is seen as socially accepted or acceptable, especially for men. And yet somehow though, as we already talked about, you were able to get to a point where you realized, okay, this is not working. And Clint, when it comes to alcohol and you, when did you have that revelation that, that you were like, hmm, something has got to change? Well, I battled. I I battled alcohol uh, off and on my whole life. Um, you know, I've, I've had relapses. Um, you, you know, and, and you know, just to uh, to to understand that, you, and and just going back to what you say, uh, drinking beer is almost like part of being a man, right? Right. But you know, which is you know ridiculous, but it's part of our social thinking, and and for me, I think. Uh, when I was, um, I, I was, I was near my, uh, suicidal, uh, time and I was drinking a lot. I was drinking, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I was drinking and I was just trying to kill pain. I was trying to, and, and I knew I had a problem for sure. Um, but that's when I really realized that I had totally lost control of not just my mental health, um my 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 suicidal thinking uh but also i i i needed alcohol to function to i, I was dependent i was dependent on it and it, it just became uh you know a, a self-medication and for me to to actually uh address that you know it, it was after the suicide attempt that you know that, that i had to really i went to treatment uh had to work on a lot of my my you know mental health issues also but i, I was also a full-blown alcoholic at that time and had to had to deal with that too right i mean at the end of the day some would argue that it's not necessarily that we had an alcohol problem as much as a living problem right because it to recover we got to look at some of this and clint i just want to address this book briefly because for anybody tuning in right now visually this book crazy game by clint malarchuk phenomenal phenomenal read and for everybody in the tuning in later on the podcast i would highly recommend checking out that book by clint malarchuk one of the things you know you're you're talking about the the suicide clint and what stuck out for me is there is a moment where joni your wife goes back to that place where you did pull the trigger and she finds a tooth she finds your tooth and there's a, a piece where she thinks you know maybe things can become whole again how has that process been for you trying to become whole well <clears throat> uh, you know th that part is it's a daily battle I, I you know i do have my <clears throat> my good days, my bad days, of course. Um, I have a, you know, kind of a, a daily routine, you know, obviously I know a lot of people are anti-medication, but I take medication because I don't like the alternative. 
The alternative was not good. The alternative was didn't turn out too good. Uh, so uh, meditation has been been a part of my uh, my my go to as well. Um, you know, um, counseling. If I need to go to a counselor, I go to a counselor. Uh, not that I need to go to one all the time, but if I feel like I'm sliding downhill, uh, I'll go to a counselor. I recently, uh, uh, it's been a year. I started to have flashbacks of the skate cutting my throat again and, and sitting straight up in bed and everything. So I, I, I did a thing called, I immediately went for help. And this is only a year and a half ago now. Uh, I did a thing called EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's scientifically proven something left, right with the eye movement and walking to uh, some kind of talk therapy and that. And it helped, it got me through it. So counseling is is still you know uh, there if I need it. Um, you know what? I, I, and I know you're going to relate to this 100%. My biggest um, uh, go-to help for Clint Malarchuk is being of service, uh, speaking about my my life, speaking about my vulnerability, my downest downest and darkest of times. Um, you you know uh, and you know, when you, and you're, you're, you're a professional speaker, like I am and an author, like I am. So you know what it's like to reach people and to have them come up and hug you. Uh, a, a man even crying for the first time in his life. He's, he's, he's actually going, wow, somebody else it gets it. Somebody's like me. I'm not the only one. Uh, that, that being of service is, is the hugest thing. And I realized that this is before COVID and everything, um, you know, on a speaking circuit, like you and I are usually July and August get a little slow. You know, the conventions aren't out there. And I noticed August, I started to get into a depression again. And I was like, why, why, why? And I, I kind of thought about it and it was because I hadn't spoke much in July and August was dead and I wasn't getting my, um, my 12 step, I guess my being a service. And it was, that's why I felt like I was sliding back down because I wasn't out there doing what I'm, I believe, I believe, you know, I should, I should have been dead three times now. And, and I believe, and I say this all the time, God spared me for those that are still suffering. So that's why I like that 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 being of service because I feel like that's that's why I am alive. That's why God spared me. That's why um, you know God gave me the vulnerability to to do what I did to write that book and and be, and I mean I threw everything out in that book. I mean it's pretty raw. I even told about my insecurities, everything, and it was the hardest thing I ever did, Alan. Yeah, I played in the NHL. That must have been pretty tough. Uh. Uh-uh. That book was the hardest thing I ever did in my life, but it's also the most gratifying thing that I've ever done. Yeah, that makes good sense, Clint. I mean, risk and reward, isn't it? And I mean, I've heard you speak many times and and you always say you don't feel like your purpose here was to be an NHL goaltender. And and you said it yourself, right? It's it's to carry a message and well, I don't know, I- like, is it? Do you sometimes find it's this double-edged sword? Because I find life really hard. I find life very um, rewarding and gratifying, but I also find it hard. And while I would say this is redemption, that we're able to still be alive after the life that we've led, but, you know, how do you navigate 
through that? Do you have uh, bitterness sometimes? Do you just accept, hey, this is what it is. I'm going to make the best of it. You, you know, the, the, the bitterness part, uh, I've had people say, like Kelly Rudy, a good friend of mine, said I had the most talent and uh, we grew up together and, and, you know, that I was the best goalie, blah, blah, blah. I, I sure didn't feel like it. But, um, you know, I made it to the NHL and sometimes I'm like, boy, how could how how good could I have been had I not had mental illness? But then um, I'm, I'm just grateful I made it to the NHL with mental illness. So I, I feel like, you know, the NHL did give me a platform. There's a line that, you know, kind of uh, of success. But there's also that parallel line of the demons, the mental illness, the depression, the anxiety. I'm in the NHL. I have the world by the tail. I should be the happiest guy in the world, yet I'm struggling with anxiety and depression. And so I had these two lines, one of kind of demons and one of kind of success. And now I know why I had the demons and why God gave me the platform of the NHL is the, 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 the top is to be of service, to be where I am. Because what am I going to speak about? Yeah, I played in the NHL, but had I not gone through, what would I speak to people about? I speak to people that are suffering in darkness and silence. I had to go through that darkness and silence to know what the hell I'm talking about, to know that, to have that empathy and compassion and to and the vulnerability to stand up and tell your story and have men actually for the first time um, come to you and say, you know what, I'm going to get help. I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm going to see a doctor. I'm going to talk to my wife about this. And I've had women, I've had a lot of wives, uh, especially uh, come up to me and go, oh my God, you, you, you will not believe what you did to my husband. He, he, he is actually going to go because she's lived with him and seen his struggles. And he's been afraid to go get help because of a lot of reasons, stigma, manhood, uh, the ego thing. Um, you know, and you, 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 here's one for you. You know what ego stands for, right? You tell me. E-G-O, edging God out. Okay, there you go. Well, we try and do it ourselves, right? We, we're, we're men. We try and do it ourselves. Right. We, we need a little help from the other side, too. You know, whoever your God or whatever your God might be. So E-G-O, edging God out. I can't edge God out. And another thing I like to um, say is when, when I'm having a bad day, um, I've lost my contact with my higher power. So I take my 10 minutes or whatever I can afford uh, to meditate and just get reconnected with my higher power. And all of a sudden, you know, things seem to settle down and I'm not overwhelmed and, and going 100 miles an hour. You know, I kind of turn it over to my higher power a little bit. Yeah, well said. And, you know, there's a, a question coming in from Mike Cameron, good friend of mine. Great to see you, Mike. Thanks for being on this podcast. So Mike, who, I mean, an incredible soul, obviously takes time to meditate. Clint, he's wondering what meditation practice looks like for you. Well, I love talking about meditation because it scares a lot of people. Yeah. It, it, or maybe it doesn't scare, intimidates them a little bit because again, it's not, again, it's not like considered the manly thing either. Right. Right. But, so meditation started with me. I read a book called the untethered soul 
And it got me thinking about, you know, how the world goes and we're just a little piece of it. And, and uh, you know, without going into, it got me into thinking about, you know, meditating. And so there's different forms of meditation. People, uh, people get intimidated. They think you have to sit cross-legged and go, oh, no, you don't. You don't. You can if you want. I mean, if you if that's, but you don't. Um, sometimes I got this piece of grass in front of my barn that I like the water, and I watch the water coming out of the hose, and it, it's a form of meditation. The dogs are running around. That's a form of meditation. My meditation usually is settling down. I usually like to lay flat and and meditate that way. Um, uh, try to silence my mind. Uh, something comes in, don't panic. Uh, I call it sit in my my seat of conscious awareness. I'm conscious of if something comes into my head, I'm conscious. It's, it's but it'll go away. It'll float away. Uh, funny story, which I love to tell, is because my wife is one of those meditation. I can't meditate. I can't sit still long enough. I can't. You know, and a lot of people are like that. They they don't think they can settle down long enough just to quiet their mind and the, the the trick about meditation is you don't you don't try you just do and, and you, you, you let it happen and one day uh she goes puts i got this little emotional support dog little yorkie and she she puts it in this basket in her bicycle and she puts her earbuds in and she goes on a bike ride and and one day she pulls pulls in and i'm out there doing my watering and and i said so how was your meditation and she looked at me like were you nuts? I don't meditate. And I said, no, you, you just, that's, that's a form of meditation. Her going on her little bike ride with the dog in the basket looks like Dorothy on the wizard of the Oz or something. And she thought about it. And now that's her, she accepts that as part of her form of meditation. So I always try to, people don't get intimidated by it. It can be any one of a million things. You find out what works. But I, I think what I've done is I built up a meditation where, like I said, if I'm having a bad day, um, I take that 10 minutes. I've lost my connection with my higher power, which uh, is basically a meditation in itself. And I'll take that 10 minutes and I'll just get reconnected. And all of a sudden, God's taking care of most of that stuff that I was worrying about. And I'm, I'm able to resume uh my, my day because i got reconnected that's awesome that's awesome yeah i mean i know i have a hard time with that word meditation i'm trying i mean even today i sat on the floor with one of our dogs a bull mastiff and i just had my hand on the bull mastiff and i would i would just say love lives here love lives here and i mean that's that's just something new that i'm trying but what works for one will not work for someone else but to right. your point i mean you you just have an open mind and um you know An animals, animals can be huge animals can be huge meditators like i said i got a little uh, emo uh, emotional support dog and it's funny how that dog when i'm upset it'll sit on my lap a lot but when i'm upset it crawls right up on my shoulder and will rest across there it can sense when i'm not into a good spot and so it, 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 uh, it, meditation, take, take that word out, meditation, call it energy, call it energy. There's good energy, there's bad energy. To me, animals give me good energy. I, I, I like to feed my horses 
And sometimes I'll stand there and you can hear them just grinding away and they're just in heaven. And it's a very calming, uh, soothing effect for me. And that's a form of meditation. So don't get intimidated by meditation and animals are huge. Yeah, no doubt. I totally agree. Uh, Clint Sydney just is just commenting here. He says, you know, he heard your story when you were in Regina at the recovery week luncheon several years ago. Keep on keeping on. Boy, those words sound like I've heard them before. Thank you, Sydney. Yeah, that was that was a great uh, a great event. I think we went through uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, uh, Saskatoon, and uh, uh, Prince Albert, and uh, it was a recovery tour, and uh, it was great. It, it was it was good. Just uh, another person uh, that you're impacting. Sorry, uh, a, a friend of ours that hosted that one in Regina, Rod Peterson, was the host of that one in Regina. Yeah. yeah, he is a good soul. Yes, and he's had his battles, and and who hasn't? And he's another guy that is he, you know, he's a big, strong guy. He's a football commentator, you know, uh, well known in, in in Saskatchewan, and um, you know, he's not afraid to step out and tell his story. Well, and that's just it. You, you think to yourself, how many others are? are hiding because to your point, yeah, a lot of people didn't know Rod's struggles. A lot of people didn't know your struggles, but I think that one of our challenges is we live in our head. We, we fear, we have these thoughts about what's going to happen if we are vulnerable or if we reach out for help. And you said it yourself, Clint, early on, there was not so much judgment as there was compassion. And I'm finding that the more men that I talk to, when they're actually able to reach out for help, they are met with extending arms, right? They are embraced. And more importantly, they feel like they no longer have to wear the proverbial mask. They feel free. Well, I think that uh, the more we talk about it, like uh, like I, I mentioned being of service and, and really what, what, what we're doing right now is being of service. And it's, it's freedom for you, I know. It's freedom for me. Um, and, and to know that somebody out there is going to listen and go, look at these two donkeys. If they can step out and, and be vulnerable and get help and try to help others, uh, so can I. Exactly. And it's, for me, such a large part has been surrounding myself with others who speak my language. And the only reason that you and I ever connected was because we get each other to know that. I can pick up the phone and call you or you call me and we're just there for each other. I really struggle with shame. And I know that that's one word for you, Clint, that, ah, that one has the ability to just uh, be really difficult to navigate through, but talking, right? Silence doesn't work. So I love the fact that you are able to just put a voice to what's going on. Well, you know that I, I always use I, I don't just use shame, shame and guilt. See, when I grew up as a kid, uh, um, all my self worth was if I if I had a good hockey game as a kid, I was a good kid. If I had a bad hockey game, I was a bad kid. Now, right. That's very very sick thinking, right? But that's the household I grew up in. I you know I had an abusive alcoholic father, and I I, I don't want to knock him because he was a great guy, but alcohol changes people but um so my default mode now even today is i make a mistake 
I go to shame and I go to guilt. And it's 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 because that's where I grew up. As uncomfortable as shame and guilt is for Clint Malarchuk, it's my default mode because that's where I grew up. I grew up with that gut-wrenching uh, knot in the stomach. And, and so now I have to just tell myself, do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. And, and that's what I try to do. And sometimes I walk around the house and I'm, I'm, I'm mumbling. Blah, 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 blah. My wife, what are you saying? I, I'm nothing. I'm just saying do the next right thing. But I have to drill it in because it's so ingrained in me as a, as a child. Yeah. And I guess in, in a way, we just go to what we know, don't we? I mean, if, if shame is what we used to live in, it's a natural place to visit. Yeah. Uh, Clint, Dana made a beautiful comment. She just says, thank you both for sharing your vulnerability and truth. Freedom equals awareness, vulnerability, fear, pain, and resiliency. And she heard you speak uh, as well in Saskatoon. You have an amazing message. Yes, you do, my friend. And Fran also chimed in saying, um, you know, yes, so can I. And that's exactly it. You can, Fran. I mean, I, I know that you're in the process of writing your story. And Clint, I think that, that that's part of it too. Writing that book, as you've said in the past, has was the hardest thing that you've ever done, but also the most rewarding. And I always encourage people to just write their story, not for the sake of necessarily publishing, right. but just for the sake of looking inward. And I mean, one of the things I love about you is you, well, you've said, I mean, you are here to serve. And anybody who has ever reached out to you, you respond. And I know that now you're also trying to become a life coach. How's that going? <laughs> That's, that's going pretty good. I, I, in fact, I think I'm going to take my final exam today. Woo! I know I've been fighting this COVID thing and uh, uh, it, it's been tough. It's been hard to concentrate and everything, but uh, uh, I think today I'm going to, I'm going to finally uh, rate my final. So hopefully uh, I hope I, I, I don't know how I'm going to do, but I, I hope I do well because I, I, I want to be, because I'm like you, you and I have very, very similar paths, um, you know, and we do the same sort of uh, things out there for people. And uh, I want to be like Alan. <laughs> so I want to be a life coach too. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck on that test. Our friend Tom chimes in. Hello. Thank you for continuing to share your message of hope and honesty. And wow. Yeah. Hope. Hope is a big thing, Tom. Thank you. And Travis, again, thanks for sharing your experience. It's valuable, something I wish everyone could do. Um, Clint, one of, the, one of the things for me that just threw me, this was maybe two years ago. We're talking on the phone. I don't know, maybe we talked three or four times before. And then as the conversation comes to an end, you say, I love you. And you know, at the time, I was like, oh. <laughs> Where'd that come from? <laughs> it, it, it threw me. And here's the thing. I have, there's only one other guy in my life, one other friend that I ever said, I love you too. And I felt it and I was comfortable with it. And that was my best friend, Justin, who died by suicide. And and when you said that, I mean, it it hit me, you know, and even now, like it, it hits me. And <clears throat> those are very powerful words. But why is it that as men, we have a hard time saying those 
words to other men? Well, I think we just grew up that way. I mean, uh, it, it's like the old uh, how how all uh, how some of these stigmas started. I mean, remember uh, like crying, crying. You, you know, I remember as a boy. Uh, you know, if 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 your if your feelings were hurt, okay. If you if you got hurt and you were crying, okay. That all right, all right. Cry, cry, knock it off, right. But if you're crying out of hurt feelings, uh, the old man will. I'll give you something to cry about. So what is the message there? The message is you don't cry, especially over hurt feelings or spilt milk. And so we grew up with these messages, as small of, uh, of a message that, that, that there is, but there's thousands of them out there that we grew up with. So it, it, it becomes that toughness part again. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's part of the stigma again. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's just something that I, I think that uh, it, it can be an overused word. It can be an underused word. It can mean so many uh, different, different ways. Like, I, I love Alan Keeler. Do I want to marry you? No. <laughs> you know, but, but I love you, you know. And and so it's different. I've got I've got uh, I've, I've, we've got a, a mutual friend listening in here, and uh, you don't know him as well as I do, but uh, I love him dearly as a friend. And I know when you get to know him, uh, well, he's pumping pumping in here right now. Um, you know, you're gonna love Chuck. You're gonna love him because he's that type of guy. And it's easy to love people that do good things and try to help people. And um, Chuck's one of those guys. You're one of those guys. I'm one of those guys. And it just becomes easy. You know, um, I, I've got a, I've got another friend. I think he's listening in. I don't know. He's, he's, he's not that technical. So you may <laughs> might not figure it out, but he has gone through hell and back with me. I write, I write about him a lot in my book. And, um, you know, he stuck by me um, th through th thick and thin. And, um, you know, he, he's the guy that the town, that the, the, they, they tried to get me on a helicopter, a life flight, because I had a bullet in my head and I was still conscious. And um, the, the dog catcher, I think, got a hold of him on the radio <laughs> and said, uh, you got to get this guy in a helicopter because he ain't going. You're the only guy that'll get him on that machine. And he's another guy I can say I love you to. And he's a big burly veterinarian guy. Uh, he's a man's man. He's a rancher guy, um, you know, and he has no problem saying he loves me either. And I love his family. He loves my family. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Thanks for sharing. Uh, you know, and Clint, to Dana's point, she says you've already been a life coach without maybe knowing it. And that's true. I mean, once you pass this test today, yes, you'll get some papers, but man, you're well, already... Well, that, that, that we we're talking about Chuck. Uh, he's kind of my partner, and and you're coming into you know kind of partnership with us too on trying to help men. And uh, you know, um, he he he's saying you're doing this anyways. You're always on the phone. My wife, my wife used to say, you know, Clint, you're on, you're in the barn. You're on the phone for two hours. Who the heck are you talking to? I say, I don't know who it is, but you know, they they need support. They need love. They need whatever. And so I figured uh, I might as well, I'm doing it anyways. I might as well know exactly how to do it. 
<laughs> yeah, you you have a massive heart. You are a bright light in a sometimes dark world, and I appreciate you. Uh, you, you know, to Sydney's point, you know, you're doing God's work. There, there, there is something larger at play when I go back and think about, even for myself, why I'm still here, and clearly for you, Clint, um, that resonates. Uh, I want to wind things up here soon, but I know that there's a few people who are tuning in live, and by all means, if you have any questions for Clint, I would open it up. Um, feel free to ask any questions, and I will address them. Clint, I know that for you, teams, you know, being on a team and being with the team is key. And I think it was back in 2014 when when you were about to enter into rehab again and 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 Joni, you know, a great soul, your wife said, hey, just remember, we're a team. Like how how important is it for you to have that support around you? Well, I, you know, we can't do it alone. I mean, you, you need support. That's why it breaks my heart when I do hear stories of people that don't understand or don't uh, empathize too well with what a person is going through. And that's kind of why I use that analogy that people don't understand uh, mental illness or addiction. Uh, just understand that it is painful. And, you know, you can't judge something that you haven't gone through yourself. And just to know that that person is in pain and they do, they can't do it themselves. They need the help. They need the support. And you don't always know what to say. In fact, usually you don't know what to say. It, it's, it's your actions. It's showing up. It, it's, it's the support that you give. Because it, it, it's hard to know what to say unless you've walked a mile in our shoes. Right. And I think that's actually where sometimes people run into uh, a brick wall where they're, they're not sure what to say. So either A, they're silent, but silence isn't the answer. But I think if if we can understand it's not our job to ever fix someone, but if we can take the time to listen uh, and to your point, show compassion, show them some resources, but also understand that it's up to them whether or not they act on those resources. And, you know, Dean, um, must have read the book, says, thanks for sharing your story in the book. And actually, by the way, Clint, I know that Mike has already ordered the book from Amazon just a few minutes ago. So, hey, we're moving the right direction. Well, which book? I mean, what do you have, five out now? <laughs> you know what's what's crazy, Clint? We talk about shame, right? And the, the last book that I wrote on men and mental health was the first time that I felt a little bit of pride because those first few, nah, it had to do with the value. You know, who who the hell am I to to write a book? But it's slowly coming into my own and and moving through the shame. Like, do you find that you can be moving along in life, everything's good, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, that shame just grabs you and pulls you back? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, when I wrote my book, um, I, I put everything out there. I mean, everything. I thought if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't give a damn. And then, what, right, a week before it was supposed to be out on the bookshelves, I had a total panic attack, meltdown. I remember I was standing on in front of my barn on my cell phone, and I was talking to my co-author, and I was crying. 
And I was like, oh, my God, what did I do? I've just opened up the whole can of worms of Clint Malarchuk's and, and, you know, and I, I was, I was shaking and, um, and, and scared. I had true fear of how the book would be perceived, all the uh, shame and guilt I talked about, all the demons I talked about, all the, uh, the ups, the downs, and even the funny stories that I put in there. And I was shaking, I was crying, and I, 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 he settled me down. And after that, it was boom. Um, it was, like I said, the greatest thing I ever did because I, I just, the feedback, I could not believe how many people out there struggle. I just could not believe how, the feedback. And I, I'm talking, I was getting hundreds of e emails a day. And, and I went, wow, there's a lot of Clint Malarchucks out there. And, you know, you know, it's funny, uh, another thing that I was speaking at a, I, I was working with the Calgary Flames at the time, and I, I was speaking with the uh, uh, big psychiatrist, uh, chairman of the board of the Canadian Psychiatric Society. He was speaking, I was speaking, and we thought we got this nailed. We got the, uh, we got the guy, the clinical side, and then we got a story, uh, uh, my story, and we thought we nailed this. And they had Q&A after. And a lot of the Calgary Flame players came. I had a great support system. So I introduced them before I spoke. And my wife was in town, so I introduced her too. And so the Q&A, uh, somebody puts up a hand. Uh, I have a question, but it's uh, it's for your wife, Joni. And, um, well, okay. She, had, she stood up and answered the question. Another question. Uh, I got another question, uh, but it's for your wife, Joni. I'm like, the hell's going on here? Me and the doctor, I mean, we're, we're, we're pumping fists thinking we got this nailed and here's all the questions were for Joni, but it really got me thinking. There's a lot of, there, there's a lot of Clint Malarchucks out there, but there's a lot of uh, Jonis that, that live the other side of, of living with somebody with mental illness and addiction a lot. And we don't, we don't hear um, their, their story too much. It's always about us and and they go through what they go through um it, it's it's just as bad in fact it's terrifying and there, there's no uh there's no manual for them yeah well when i first saw you and joni on a stage together i sat back and i thought wow this is powerful because to your point i was finally able to see the other side and and i noticed pretty quick how many people were just drawn in because yeah a lot of times clint the focus is on us the ones who are struggling but what about those who are trying to support us how do they support us while not getting lost in their journey yeah. and that is a whole nother conversation which a whole nother one. <laughs> we'll, we'll dive into at some point uh you know Tom says, Joni's another angel to the world. So true. Yep. Tom, Tom Pure, he's a Grand Prairie boy. Hi, Tom. There you go. There you go. And, you know, it is a family disease and it affects everybody. It's it's that ripple effect, isn't it? But yep. wait, um, I want to wrap this up. I, I really appreciate your time. Not a lot of people know that you're not feeling so hot. What's going on, by the way, with your health right now? 
Well, just that dang COVID got me. It got me, and boy, did it get me good. You know, some people get a little bit. Some people get it, you know, full-blown, and I I pretty much had it full-blown, and I think today's the first day I'm just maybe feeling a little bit normal or as normal as a goalie can get. Right. <laughs> well, I said, Clint, let's just put this put this off for a little bit. What do you say? No born resilient or be resilient okay yeah. hey we pulled it off i really really appreciate your time clint i appreciate you as a person i love you thank you so much likewise love you too and thanks for having me i think it went great me too thank you thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in to mental health it's time to talk keep talking be well